This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Safari women are going places. Israel is more Middle Eastern than ever before. So says Lynn Julius, co-founder of Harif, the UK Association of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. Her book uprooted how 3,000 years of Jewish civilization in the Arab world vanished overnight. Looks at the exodus of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. She joins me now to tell me more. Lynn, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. Lynn, first tell me your own history. Well, I am the daughter of Jewish refugees from Iraq. I was born in the UK. My parents had left Iraq in 1950, along with 95% of the Jewish community. But whereas most of the community went to Israel, my parents were in a small minority uh, that ended up in the UK. You talk about Sephardi and Mizrahi communities in your book, and indeed in Arif. What is the difference between the two? Sephardi literally means from Spain, from Sepharad. And it it can be applied to all non-Ashkenazi Jews, actually, including uh, Mizrahi Jews. I'll tell you a bit more about that in a minute, um, because, you know, just to say that they're not Ashkenazi, and also because it also applies to religious ritual and custom. You can say that they're all of Sephardi rite, uh, halakha. But, and so in that case, in that sense, that Mizrahim and Sephardim um, all practice a similar sort of Judaism, if you like. But Mizrahi means... Uh, Oriental of the East, and it it applies really to communities that have nothing to do with Spain, never did have anything to do with Spain. For instance, uh, the Babylonian Jewish community in Iraq, which goes back 2,600 years, or the Yemeni Jewish community, uh, which didn't have anything to do with Spain. But it is an imperfect term, if you like, because if you're talking about, um, you know, long-established Jewish communities, you know, that go back 2,000 years, for instance, the Moroccan community uh, is one such community, and often people talk about them as Mizrahi, but of course, in terms of geography, they're not at all Mizrahi. They're not east of uh, of, of Israel. They are, in fact, very far to the west of the, most of Europe. So, you know, it's it's all very confusing. But but for the sake of uh, simplicity, I tend to use Mizrahi as a sort of catch-all rather than Sephardi. You talk about um, three thousand years of Jewish civilization being uprooted and being lost. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is these communities really go back 3,000 years. Uh, Certainly in the case of the Iraqi Jewish community, it goes back 2,600 years to the first exile and the destruction of, of the Jewish, the first temple. These communities are very long established, and the ones in North Africa go back at least 2,000 years. During that time, the Jews really embedded themselves in the local culture. They contributed a a huge amount to the local culture, and of course the environment did influence them. It's not just a matter of them interacting with their environment. They also made a huge contribution to Judaism as a whole. So I'd say that 
for instance, the Babylonian Talmud was was really created in the academies of Babylon in the early centuries of our era. Civilization encompasses learning, it encompasses culture, ritual, you know, shrines, a whole world that's really been lost to us now. You talk about 50 years expulsion or leaving of Arab countries. Now you're saying those who have left are getting very old and we cannot keep those memories alive or can we? Yeah, the problem is that those people who were born in uh, Arab countries, they're now, I would say the youngest is really in, in his or her 60s. You know, most of them really are in their 80s or even in their 90s. So, of course, all that is being lost. You know, people are making an effort to record stories, to record memories, to write memoirs. But really, 3,000 years have really come to an end, I'd say. And they'll never come back again. You know, we we will never recreate that um, that chapter in Jewish life. You say everything was lost. Uh, there must be manuscripts. Do manuscripts not present themselves in odd places? You know, every now and then you read of a find that serendipitously happened. Do you get that? Yes, certainly. I mean, there are manuscripts. I mean, um, perhaps you're referring to things like the Aleppo Codex that was salvaged from uh, from Syria. There are ancient manuscripts. There are thousands of documents in these countries. But as a rule, the Jews did not really write down their history. So there's very little in terms of historical documentation Uh, There are religious manuscripts, there are records. That actually is the sore point with the Jews because they're inaccessible, really, to communities that are now in exile. I can give you an example of that. In Egypt, for instance, the synagogue records, that's the circumcision, marriage and death records, were actually seized by the government of Egypt and put in the National Archives as if they were part of Egypt's national heritage. But of course, they really do belong to the Jewish community And that Jewish community is not extinct like the ancient Egyptians. You know, they're still alive. Their descendants are alive. They live in Europe and they need those records in order to prove their identity. So, um, you know, we have this problem that um, what is ours really is no longer accessible to us. Tell me a little bit about Harif. So Harif, I founded it about uh, 15, 16 years ago now, in 2005. It's the UK Association of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa. We have over 2,000 people on our mailing list. You don't need to be Safadi or Mizrahi to subscribe. Anybody who's interested in our activities can um, join our mailing list. You just have to subscribe at www.harif.org. We've been running a very active Zoom program, actually. It would be wonderful if more South Africans were to join us. We, we've got a global audience for, for our lectures, um, you know, people from America, from Canada, Israel, France, uh, Italy, you name it. We really try and explore different aspects of history and culture every month or every fortnight. That's the situation at the moment, obviously, during the pandemic. 
Lynn, how big is the organization? Oh, it's tiny. It's a group of volunteers, five of us, really. (laughs) And members? So there are over 2,000 people on our mailing list. So I don't call them members because, um, you know, there's there's no subscription fee or anything. It's, it's purely people who are interested in, in the topic. We keep up to date. You speak about attracting South Africans. You yourself say we're part of a minority that came to the UK, most went to Israel. What is the relationship between, if I can call diaspora, the Sephardi communities? We're very close because obviously most of us have relatives in Israel. More than half the Jewish population of Israel is from Arab or Muslim countries. I would say we are extremely, uh, extremely connected to, to Israel and to the communities there. You talk in one of your articles about this actually being the Middle Eastern time for Israel now. You, you mention AHA, you mention uh, the food, Sephardi food becoming more mainstream. Do you want to talk, is there a frustration, do you think, for people that Mizrahi or Sephardi communities are still being marginalised? I don't think they're being marginalised in terms of, uh, as I said, they're more than half the um, the population of Israel. Um, so they are not a small beleaguered minority by any means, and they are present in every field, the army, they're in politics, they're all over the place. But where what is marginal and what is being marginalised is really their history. I would say that their narrative really has not been properly heard or given the attention it deserves. There are various reasons for that. I think people do not see the Middle East conflict in the right context. That is that um, more than half the Jewish population of Israel are in Israel because of Arab and Muslim anti-Semitism. And yet you barely hear that point being made. Uh, Israel is partly to blame for this because for a long time, Israeli schools never taught very much about the history of the Sephardi Mizrahi communities. Israel is, of course, dominated, well, still is a little bit dominated by an Ashkenazi establishment. And it's not their story. It's not their background. You know, they're more influenced by what happened to Jewish communities in Europe. You know, there's very tragic history in Europe, obviously. Uh, but I think Mizrahim and Sephardim do deserve to be heard, and their story is absolutely essential for achieving peace and reconciliation with the Arabs, because unless we have an undistorted uh, view of what happened, of this massive displacement uh, of almost a million Jews, then we can't really achieve peace based on truth. So that's one reason why uh, we created Harif, really to advocate for the rights of, of Jews from Arab and Muslim countries. I think we've won the cultural battle in Israel. You know, we're, we, <laughs> uh, you know, definitely in terms of food and, and music. Now we have to win the, um, you know, the narrative in terms of history. In terms of winning the narrative, do you see a change? Do you see a, a willingness to learn more? Yeah, I think there has been a gradual change. We now have a date in the calendar. 
the 30th of November, which was designated as the day to mark the exodus and the departure of uh, Jewish refugees from Arab countries and Iran. And this day is being marked by um, by many organizations around the world. And certainly Israeli embassies are instructed to, to mark this day. So I think we have made progress in the last six or seven years, but it's not enough. I think we should do more. I think the Ashkenazi diaspora is still largely ignorant of uh, what happened to Mizrahim and Sephardim, of the um, the suffering that, that occurred. Um, you know, there were executions, there was torture, there was mass dispossession, you know, and, and this is absolutely essential to to the to you know to to the way people perceive the middle east conflict i think especially since israel is under attack in the diaspora you know on campus and in the media and yet very few people actually make the point that um well in fact Jews were, were victims of, of Arab and Muslim anti-Semitism. I think you raise an excellent point. And if uh, we run out of time, I mean, actually, I would like to ask you about the Abraham Accords and whether you feel Mizrahi Sephardi communities can contribute more and be recognized more now. Yes and no. I think the Abraham Accords is, are fantastic. I think it's been a watershed in relations between Israel and the Arab world and, you know, what's not to like. What I fear is, is that, you know, most progress has really been made with the Gulf countries, which actually were never really hostile to Israel and have no real history of, of hosting Jewish communities. Therefore, they're really concerned about is, is um, you know, building an expatriate community, for instance, in Abu Dhabi, in Dubai. So that's great. And Morocco, uh, the Abraham Accords with Morocco is great news. But what worries me is these are agreements really between governments. They're not really, they don't have that much popular support. For instance, what's happened in Sudan shows how ephemeral, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the the Abraham Accords have been, uh, you know, because now we have a government coup. Um, and, and of course, um, the new government may well abrogate the, the Abraham Accords. So it's all terribly delicate. And I would very much doubt whether there is popular support in countries like the Sudan for the Abraham Accords. Even when Israel has actually made a peace agreement, for instance, with, with Egypt, there's very little popular support for that. It's really a government-to-government -government, uh, relationship. And I'd like to see, you know, a groundswell of, of enthusiasm for, you know, peaceful relations between uh, Israel and, and the Arab states. And that call for, for peace, uh, we leave the interview. But before, um, Lynn, can you just tell me if anybody would like to get in touch with you, what they should do? Yes, well, um, just come to our website, which is uh, www.harif.org. Please do subscribe to our um, mailing list. And I hope to see you on the next Zoom call. Lynn, thank you so much for joining me. It's a fascinating 
topic and good luck in terms of, I think once you've won the cultural battle, actually you, you three quarters of the way there, as you say, just to now move on to the historical narrative that needs to be told as well. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Therese. It's a pleasure. That was Lynn Julius, co-founder of Hari, a UK association of Jews from the Middle East and North Africa.